Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walk Magazine. My name is David Walker, the editor, bringing you the issue for October 2018. Happy Halloween everyone. I hope it was a good one. And um, this story, it's kind of serendipitous that this one came to us and we're publishing it in in this slot right here uh, because it is it is strange it is a strange story and it is creepy um, and I think it fits really well so I couldn't have planned it better myself I did not plan it it just kind of happens sometimes but um, this story is Brett Borden's story from that day forth God's hand was orange any indication of how this story is gonna go is is that title so we were we were really drawn to this story because it was one of those stories when you read it you just could not forget it it was it stuck with you it, it really 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 unsettled me when I was reading it um, and then afterwards when I when I was thinking about it um, there's just a quality to the writing and to the story that that arrests you and doesn't let go. Uh, so, yeah, it's fitting. I, I really, really hope you enjoy this story and you are as unsettled as I was reading it. So, here we go. Uh, Brett Borden's story, From That Day Forth, God's Hand Was Orange. My name is Brett Borden, and this is a reading of my story titled, From That Day Forth, God's Hand Was Orange. Her name was Florian, and she was running. A beast, orange and strange, mammoth and malevolent, wanted her. The beast snarled, spat, stormed just behind Florian. She ran, kept just out of reach of its claws. She ran clear across town. The beast followed her all the way. She hid in the upholstery store where she worked as a seat weaver. Most of days, she hunched over a bench in the back room of the store, weaving flat, coarse cane reed into Baroque spidery webbed chair backs. Eight chairs a day, every day. She strangled her fingers with cane reeds, drew reeds tout round her fingers and palms. Her skin blistered. Blisters burst, blisters bled. At night she sunk her popped, weeping hands into jars of viscous apple vinegar and choked on the smell. Florian was a virtuoso, her art dripped out through the holes in her hands, emptied from her like liquor from a cracked canteen. Today she hunched in the corner and covered her mouth with her weeping hands. The beast walked around the building once, twice, three times, sniffing and pawing at the doors. Florian wriggled out a little window and ran for home. When she looked behind her, all she saw were jagged orange teeth. She reached home a picturesque suburban McMansion, blue paneled walls, white picket fence, an apple tree in the front yard. She found her husband in the garage, and she shrieked. His name was John. He loved broken things. He spent his days deep in the bowels of rattling refrigerators and faulty fabricators, rearranging, rewiring, touching oil, and then licking his fingers. He never repaired, but he always found what was wrong. He left his mechanisms gutted, sparking, still broken, but understood. John was an academic. He thirsted for knowledge like a babe for mother's milk, and he drank till the teat was raw and red. John went outside and thumped his fist against his chest like a gorilla to show the beast what he would do if he found it. He didn't find it outside. 
because the beast was already inside. It crept in the corners and waited. John reassured his wife everything was fine. The two didn't talk much, but every morning they held hands while brushing their teeth. She trusted him. They went to bed at once. The beast stood at the foot of their bed, watching. In the dark, Florian whispered to John. Do you remember your chair? The one you ordered from the store before we met. I saw you in the store and thought you were sweet. I wanted to impress you. I stayed up all that night wondering what sort of chair would catch your eye. Then I leaned over the side of the bed and stuck a hand in my mouth. I folded my fingers into a fist and shoved it down my throat. I call that the artistic process. I vomited. I threw up a chair. John said, talking too loud, you called it your masterpiece. Florian whispered, the chair's spider-webbed reeds looped and swirled in just the same pattern as the blisters and scars on my hands. I worked the blood of my blisters into the reeds, lacquered the finished product with mucus. The chair was as much a part of me as my carbunculosis. In the dark, your chair shimmered, your chair was orange. John said, still too loud, as if he had no idea of the beast in the room. I didn't care about the chair anymore after I saw your hands. I took your hands in mine. I held your fang-mangled flesh, creep-weeping, dribbled blood, nastily noise and vinegar stink. I licked my lips. I loved broken things. I kissed your ruined knuckles. Florian whispered. It was love at first handshake. In bed, John put her bleeding vinegar-soaked fingers in his mouth and sucked. The beast stood at the foot of their bed. Florian's feet stuck out from beneath the sheets, over the edge. Her toenails were painted orange. Her feet were out in the open, cold, vulnerable. The beast stood by her feet, watching. It leaned down and put its lips around her foot and sucked. The beast backed away. Her foot was orange. Florian whispered, Listen, that night I made your chair, I think I pulled something else out of myself. I think I dragged some horror out of my intestines. I think it is a shadow, like the Phantom of the Opera, the Headless Horseman, the Haunt of Hill House. I think it does not think. It does not act. It ferments. It inseminates the mind, roots in the cortexes, sprouts into sinus cavities, blooms out the eye sockets and nostrils and open mouth, a ravaging spring flower. I think it is a shadow. I think it is a presence, a paradox, an absurdity, a terror, an unknown flying object. I think it is following me, a stranger come to town. I think that something is here in our bedroom with us, a knock on the door too late in the evening, the fifth horseman. I think something is at the foot of our bed, watching. I think it is the journey to the end of the night. I think it is a beast. Florian threw the sheets off herself, jumped up, and turned on the light. She saw the beast breathing in her bedroom. She cried out and convulsed, spun about, ripped at her clothes, at her skin, at her face, clawed at her eyes and mouth and nose. She fell prostrate on the ground and begged God to take the beast away. God answered her call. God stooped to the earth and bent down over their picturesque suburban home and glared at the beast through a window with a shining golden sunbeam eye. God reached a holy hand through the window pane and wrapped the beast in a mighty fist. God pulled his hand away, and the beast was still sitting, and God's hand was orange. John looked at Florian lying on the floor. Her lips were orange. She had on orange lipstick. In the reflection of her crazed eye, John saw the beast for the first time. John picked her up and led her into the kitchen. A hearty, healthy meal would fix this. He grilled vegan burgers, baked kale cupcakes slathered with hummus icing and sprinkled with crushed vitamins. He sat down at the dinner table with Florian to enjoy his meal. The beast sat down too in a moist orange chair. John asked Florian to pass the salt. The beast grabbed the salt shaker, held it in front of John's nose. 
The Beast and John looked each other in the eyes. John was scared. The Beast upended the shaker and dumped a heap of salt in his lap, dared John to do something about it. John led Florian back to bed. A good night's sleep would fix this. The Beast followed them into bed, nestled itself, snug between them. The Beast was so big that only it fit on the bed, and they slept on the floor. In the morning, they held hands with the Beast while brushing their teeth, and their teeth were orange. The Beast was so big that its head touched the ceiling, and they felt so small they had to stand on step stools to reach the sink. For breakfast, they sat underneath the table and held hands with the beast while it ate oranges for dinner. They hired a priest. They bought a Ouija board. They burned incense. They ate balanced meals. They exercised regularly. They took a multivitamin. They rubbed olive oil into their skin. They performed a rain dance. They wore moccasins and tied plastic feathers to their hair. They howled and screamed and shouted at the beast. They called it names. They frothed at the mouth. The beast stayed put. It was inside their home. It wasn't going anywhere. Finally, Florian consented to getting professional help. Luckily, John had a certificate in counseling. Florian got down on her knees and lowered her head, as if kneeling in prayer. John got his tools ready. John held a mallet. John swung the mallet at Florian's head. Orange exploded from her cranium like yolk from a shattered egg. John stuck his fingers in the cracks and pried open her skull. He shined a flashlight into the shadows of her head. He saw the beast. It was worse than he had expected. An orange rot had taken root in Florian's brain. Orange pulsating roots tendrilled down her spine through every blood vessel, like sickly tangled lacework. The latices came together at the center of her brain in a brilliantly dark orange-petaled blossom that drank the light of the flashlight. It had been growing for a long time, for a lifetime, longer. It looked like the chair she had crafted for him. John jammed oversized garden shears into Florian's head. Ignoring her sobs, he cut and sliced and carved the beast out of her head. Severed orange roots sprayed thick orange fluid across the room. Popped mucousy orange organs deflated and tattered. Tossing the shears aside, violent, half-mad, John stuck his fists inside and ripped and pulled, rummaged and rearranged. He whistled a jaunty tune. He had a fine time of it. After a long while, he said, I see the problem. He wiped sweat from his forehead, leaving an orange smear across his brow. John went outside. He caught some sunlight in an empty jar. He stuck the sunshine jar in Florian's head. He taped her skull back together. John said, All better. Everyone agreed it was a stark improvement. Florian's shining new demeanor was the talk of the town. She had been so dreary, so scared, so skittish before. Now sunlight streamed from her open eyes and mouth and ears. Walking the streets at night, Florian's head lit up like a lighthouse. Florian found that she couldn't make her chairs anymore. She thought as hard as she could, but all she could think about was sunshine. She lost her job. John got her a new job at a call center. She sold home security packages to the frightened. Florian's numbers were average. After John's treatment... Everything about her was average. Everything except that at night, instead of sleeping, she closed her mouth tight to shut out the light streaming from inside her head, screwed her beaming eyes shut, held her hands over her floodlight ears, and screamed. In the end, John left because he couldn't get any sleep. In the end, Florian lay in bed all day, glittering like a dead angel. 
She was alone. The beast stood by her bedside. The beast got into bed with her. The beast touched her hair. The beast whispered in her ear. The beast whispered, I've got you. When Florian opened her eyes, all she could see was orange. Orange is the color of caution and danger. Orange is the color of reflective vests. Orange is the color of cyclists and joggers in the night. Florian had painted herself all orange, her toenails and her lips, because orange cries out, Please see me. Please know I am alive. Please do not trample me in the dark. I once read a story called The Shrinking Ghost by Noel Saluda. It was a story about a ghost that lives with a family, and the ghost shrinks and shrinks until it disappears entirely, and nothing anybody does can stop its shrinking. It was a story about the things in us that go away gradually, slowly, the things that sometimes fall out of our lives without us even noticing, or that sometimes shrivel away even when we try to hold on to them. Things like relationships, friendships, love, faith. I wanted to take that shrinking ghost and go backwards. I wanted to write a story about those things inside us that grow even when we don't want them around. Those ugly, embarrassing, toxic, bitter, humiliating emotions and thoughts inside us that twist and strangle and crawl. Some examples of those creepy-crawly feelings with thorns and too many feet are anger, anxiety, fear, frustration, confusion. I colored those feelings orange because orange is a weird color. Artists and set designers use the color orange to paint alien spaces, hostile spaces, angry spaces. I wanted to use orange to paint a story in the same manner. From that day forth, God's hand was orange was the eventual result of that attempt. It is a very serious story about very serious feelings, because I am a very serious writer. I have one rule and one rule only when it comes to telling stories, and that is no fun allowed. So, like I said, un unsettling, right? Um, um, I, I, I try not to comment on, you know, the, the, the writer's commentary. The end, but, you know, uh, Brett's, Brett's comment. I can only assume it's sarcastic. Uh, but I'm not, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this issue of Golden Walkman Magazine. Um, my name is David Walker. Uh, if you have been, if you have been following us on social media or you've been noticing that things have been slightly different in the magazine, um, we've, we've been going through some sort of a transition here, um, partly to do with, with the daily duties of my life, um, but also, um, we, we, we say farewell to, to the other editor that I've been mentioning for a while now, uh, Joey Gould, who, uh, beyond being an, you know, an amazing editor and, and very discerning eye and really a guiding force of what this magazine has become is, is a really great friend of mine, um, in terms of just life in general, um, 
you know, we, we don't get to see each other in person as much as I'd like, but, uh, you know, we, one of the, one of the main reasons why I, I thought of him when I was trying to think of someone to bring on board with Golden Walkman was because I believe, and I, you know, I believed and I still believe that he embodies what Golden Walkman is and what I, what I wanted it to be, um, from the beginning, which is, uh, a place where all voices can be heard and um, he celebrates all voices and it's something that he continues to do uh, even outside of Golden Walkman so uh, I wish him all the best and uh, you know his presence is definitely felt throughout even even after he's gone so you know goodbye Joey thank you for everything that you've done and, and uh, yeah hope to see you soon here um, but beyond that, I want to thank our contributor, uh, Brett Borden. Uh, I, I want to uh, just encourage people to keep on submitting to us. Um, we are putting the finishing touches on, uh, you know, Elliot Khalil Wilson's The Lunatic's Left Hand Man. It's taken longer, right? Transition, little period, and, and whatnot. But um, all that's going to come out. Um, we are going to have the results of our dialogue submissions and our second audio chapbook contest coming out as well um but yes please keep submitting to us magazine is alive and kicking uh we will continue to keep producing as long as you keep listening even if you don't keep listening um we'll keep bringing this stuff to you so thank you everybody um if if you haven't yet noticed, uh, there is an interview that is now up um, with uh, previous contributor Robert Morgan Fisher and Mark Valley. I think it's a great conversation that those two had, um, so please check that out as well. So that's it for me. If you couldn't tell, the music has stopped, which means I'm rambling on way too long. So I'll just leave it at that and hope to hear from you soon.